0: Good morning. My name is Jeff Stadola. The scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. I will be reading from chapter 42, verses 7 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Ten days later, the Lord gave his reply to Jeremiah. So he called for Johanan, son of Korea, and the other military leaders, and for all the people, from the least to the greatest. He said to them, You sent me to the Lord, the God of Israel, With your request, and this is his reply Stay here in this land. If you do, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I am sorry about all the punishment I have had to bring upon you. Do not fear the king of Babylon anymore, says the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and rescue you from his power. I will be merciful to you by making him kind, so he will let you stay here in your land. But if you refuse to obey the Lord, your God, and if you say, we will not stay here, instead, we will go to Egypt, where we will be free from war, the call to arms, and hunger. Then hear the Lord's message to the remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. If you are determined to go to Egypt and live there, the very war and famine you fear will catch up to you, and you will die there. That is the fate awaiting every one of you who will insist on going to live in Egypt. Yes, you will die from war, famine, and disease. None of you will escape the disaster I will bring upon you there. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Just as my anger and fury have been poured out on the people of Jerusalem, so they will be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. You will be an object of damnation, horror, cursing, and mockery and you will never see your homeland again. Listen, you remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Don't forget this warning I have given you today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks,
1: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Well, we are in the second week of a message series that we began last week um, called So Far From Home. And as we look around at the culture around us, I feel like we're not really living in the same America that many of us grew up in. And this series aims at what does it look like to be faithful to Christ as we live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity, as Christianity is pushed further and further to the margins, what does it look like as a church to be faithful to Christ in exile? This is the biblical word called exile, meaning living in a place that's not your home, living in a place that's not your home. Well, on May 17th, 1994, a song was released that Morgan and I really love. It's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. And um, it's one of these things where when you find out that someone else likes this song, you're like, yeah, you like that song too? All right, you know. Uh, So on May 17th, 1994, Lisa Loeb released this song, Stay. And it was the principal track on the movie soundtrack for the movie Reality Bites. And this song catapulted Lisa Loeb from obscurity, uh, and the song rose all the way to the to the number one spot on the billboard chart. So almost overnight, Lisa Loeb became a a pop sensation. And this song is a timeless relic of 90s pop because a musical group on YouTube by the name of Walk Off the Earth just teamed up with Lisa Loeb to redo this song. So let's watch that right now. You said
0: Don't pay attention to the distance that you're running to anyone, anywhere
1: recognize that song in here? Anyone recognize Stay by Lisa Loeb? Really? I thought the whole room would know that song. Oh, man. Okay, good. All right. Now I'm seeing it like, "Ah, I know that song. Uh, There's only one thing that bothers me about this video, and I think I need to pull these college students who are here with us for for Mother's Day today, is um, the one guy is wearing a bacon collar. Is a bacon collar making a comeback or something? Or is, was anyone else bothered by that? Like, throw that shirt away. So anyway, I bring up, I bring up the, the video of, of stay, because the message in the song is stay, all right? That's how the song climaxes, is stay with me. And the message of stay in the song is the same message that God is going to give to his people, the Jews, this remnant that was left behind in Judea after the Babylonians invaded. That's the same message that God's going to give to his people today in our text, which is stay And so just to set up the story that we're going to look at today or the events that we're going to look at today, uh, just as a reminder, when God creates the world and creates humanity, he tasks humanity with a special job. Humanity is tasked with the job of being images or reflections of who God is to the rest of creation. Some might call this sub-ruling, so they sub-rule under God, tasked with the job of spreading God's rule and reign all over the globe. But humanity doesn't do that job. Instead, they try to seize the status of God himself rather than being a sub-ruler underneath God. They try to seize God's status, and in so doing, they bring sin into the world, and they condemn all of humanity to death and fracture their relationship with God. But God is a good God, and loving God and he's not content to live or let creation languish in this fractured condemned state. And so what he does is he sticks to the goal that he's always had for his humanity, and that is raising up a group of people who will be his imagers to spread his reign over this earth and reflect who he is to all of creation. And so he uses this man Abraham to birth this nation of people who pick up the baton that was originally given to Adam and Eve to spread his reign all over the earth and reflect who he is to the rest of creation. And so in the same way that Adam and Eve were to be images, Israel is to reflect who God is to all the other nations around them. But unfortunately, like Adam and Eve, Israel doesn't do their job of reflecting God. Instead they reflect, or instead of reflecting God to the other nations, they ignore God and reflect the other nations. And so as a way of punishment, God allows this rising power of Babylon to come in and lay siege to the capital city of Jerusalem in Judah. And eventually the army conquers that city, the walls fall, the the army runs into the city and Judah as a nation has fallen to the Babylonians. And now many of these Jews who were living in the city of Jerusalem and living in the nation of Judah are being exiled or, or deported to this foreign land of Babylon. And these Jews have to make this journey all the way from Jerusalem and they go North first and then they head to the East to get down to that foreign city of Babylon. So you have these two places that are, prominent in our text today one is jerusalem which is the capital of judah where god's people lived and the other is babylon which is the capital city of this foreign rising power of babylon And not every Jew was deported or exiled to Babylon. There was a remnant that was left behind in Jerusalem. We call them a remnant. So what would happen is Babylon, when they take over Jerusalem and when they take over a foreign nation or conquer a foreign nation, they want the best and the brightest that that nation has to offer. And so if you were a Jew who was rich or had power or held a position of authority or status, Babylon saw that as valuable and they would have wanted you to live. Live with them in Babylon so you could contribute to the empire, to the nation that they were building. But if you were poor or if you were sick or if you were elderly, Babylon, in Babylon's eyes, you had no value and so they left you behind because you probably wouldn't even be able to make the journey anyway and you wouldn't be able to contribute to this new empire that Babylon's trying to build. And so these people were left behind, we call them the remnant in Jerusalem who escaped being exported or deported to Babylon. And in the same way, I feel like the message that we have today, this message to that remnant that that got left behind in Jerusalem is a very poignant message for us as the American church because we don't live in a foreign land. We're still living in the land we've always known. We're still living in the geographical area that we've always known. We're still living here in America. But the country that we live in, we don't recognize anymore. The country that we live in is becoming increasingly hostile. The country that we live in has less and less room for Christianity. The country that we live in is is putting the pressure on us more and more. And so this message that's given to these Jews left behind in Jerusalem is really poignant for us as Americans because just like those Jews, the American church is heading into exile, and I would say we're already there. But that's, what the, that's the whole point of this series is how do we, as the remnant, as these Jews, live faithfully in exile? How do we, just like God's people, the Jews, live faithfully in exile, how do we live faithfully in exile? And today, as we look at the events of Jeremiah chapter 40 through about 43, we're going to see four different men. And each one of these men is going to have a different response to how they live in exile. And three of those responses are wrong. And one of those responses is godly and right. All right. So the first man that we're introduced as we look at these events in Jeremiah 40 through 43 is this man by the name of Gedaliah. And Gedaliah is selected to become the governor of Judea. So Judah has fallen to the Babylonians. They've marched into Jerusalem and they've taken over the land. And now, rather than Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, trying to rule everywhere by himself, he elects these governors to kind of rule on his behalf because he's ruling from Babylon. And Gedaliah is the governor who is elected or selected to rule from Jerusalem. And so he is ruling. And, And Gedaliah's message to the people of Judah is, I think, a smart message. He has a message of peace. He's saying, you've been through a lot of upheaval. You've been through a lot of tumult and turmoil, and now my goal as your leader is to lead us peacefully into a new future together. And he appeals to some of the military leaders that were residual military Jews from the area, some of these men who had fought in the Judah army. He appeals to them, and he says, hey, let's let bygones be bygones. Let's let the past be in the past. I want to be at peace with you. I want to live peacefully in the future, so just feel free. He said, Babylon, if if you just put down your roots and if you just kind of live peacefully babylon is i'm going to represent you fairly in babylon like i want to treat you well and so he's got a good message it serves sort of a message of peace and so he sells the people on this message of peace and and what he does to kind of appeal to the residual soldiers of judah is he throws them a banquet and he invites them to this banquet and johanan who we're going to talk more about later and johanan who's a former military leader in the judah army he gets word that another former military leader named Ishmael is trying to kill Gedaliah. And so he warns, Johanan warns Gedaliah, and he says, hey, there's this guy named Ishmael. He's another warrior. He's trying to kill you. Do you want me to go take him out for you? Johanan's ready to accept Gedaliah's message of peace and moving forward into the future. And and so Johanan says, this man, Ishmael's trying to kill you, man. So do you want me to take him out before he can kill you? And and, and Gedaliah says, no, 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 don't worry about it. And so Gedaliah throws his banquet, and then Ishmael, As this despicable human being, in this despicable act, he slaughters Gedaliah right at the banquet table, right there in front of everybody. And so not only is the murder horrible, but he murders the person. It's like a cheap shot because he does it right at this banquet where Gedaliah was trying to appeal to these Judah military leaders. And so this is Gedaliah's response. His response is denial because he denied the report from Johanan that Ishmael was trying to kill him. He's like, no, everything's going to be fine. And it cost him his life because he denied the report from Johanan that someone was trying to kill him. It cost him his life. There's a lot of moving parts. Are you following me so far in this story? Okay, good. I'm telling it. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. So Gedaliah, or sorry, Ishmael murders Gedaliah and Gedaliah's response to living in exile was one of denial. By all accounts, he was a savvy leader, but he denied this report and it cost him his life. And as I look around at the American churches, I see many churches who respond to our culture that's changing around us with a response of denial. They put their heads in the sand and they do what they've always done. And they deny that there's anybody out there that's dying and going to hell and needs Christ. And they deny that they need to do anything differently. They deny that they need to actually appeal to people who aren't in the room yet. They deny that they need to push forward the gospel and lay aside their preferences for the preference of Christ and what he wants over their lives. I heard a story from a friend recently, and this friend is in leadership at his church that he attends, and and he was telling me about a guy in their church. He's a lifer. And he was telling me about this lifer that's been in their church, and so he's been in their church forever, and he said, yeah, this, this lifer is, is ready to leave the church. And I said, well, why is this lifer going to leave your church? And he said... This lifer doesn't like what the changes that we're making in our church because this particular church that my friend is in leadership at is um, trying to make some changes to appeal to people who don't know Jesus yet. Trying to get some people that that don't know Christ or or aren't a part of them yet or aren't reached with the gospel yet. And and so my friend is telling me that this lifer in their church is ready to leave the church because he doesn't like all these changes. And then my friend told me this, which just floored me in a horrible way. My friend told me this. He said, this lifer in our church said, I'm ready to leave because I don't like these changes. And he said, well, why? And he said, this lifer said, I don't feel that I should have to change for somebody else. I don't feel like I should have to sacrifice what I want for somebody else. And when I heard that, I said, I don't even know. Only God knows, right? But I don't even know if this guy is a Christian. Because that's not part of our vocabulary as Christianity, because Jesus gave up everything for everybody else. And so this man's response is denial. He denies that he needs to do anything different as a result of Jesus Christ being Lord in his life. I don't think Jesus is Lord of his life. He denies that the church should be doing anything different as a result of the changing culture. He doesn't deny. He denies the gospel, that the gospel should be a, a, a an organic Jesus disciple-making movement. He just likes what he likes and the way things have always been. So it's a serve me message. So he denies that there anything needs to be done to see the gospel go forward. And this is a wrong response that many churches are having to exile, which is really, really sad. So the next guy that we've already met is Ishmael. And this guy is a bad dude, folks. He is a bad dude. And I don't know what got into this man, but he is a tyrant who is thirsty for blood because he murders Gedaliah at the banquet table. And I don't know if that wet his appetite for blood or what, but he murders Gedaliah. He murders a bunch of the other soldiers who are there with Gedaliah, much of the other officials that are there with Gedaliah. And then the very next day, we're told that this band of 80 mourners has come down to Jerusalem from the north and they are mourning the loss of Judah and specifically the loss of the temple. And so they're, they're coming to the ruins of the temple, the smoldering, I imagine, smoldering ruins from the, from the Babylonian invasion where they tore down the temple and destroyed it. And they're coming down to mourn the loss of that temple. And we're told that this dude, Ishmael, infiltrates this group of mourners, 80 mourners, and he poses as a mourner and he slaughters 70 of them and throws them into a cistern. And the only reason why he saved 10 of their lives is because the 10 that he saved bribed him with goods and money and things like that for their lives. So, And we're not even told why this guy slaughters all these people. Some surmise that, 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 that Ishmael slaughtered Gedaliah because Ishmael was actually a descendant of King David. And so Ishmael thought he had a rightful claim to the throne as the governor and was mad that Gedaliah got chosen as the governor. Some claim that he was... He was, you know, just didn't want or saw saw Johanan and Gedaliah as compromisers that compromised with the Babylonian army and with and with Babylon, but we're not even told why he slaughters these seventy out of the eighty mourners who had come down to, to to Judah, to Jerusalem to mourn the loss of the temple. And so Ishmael has a militant response to exile. His response is to take up arms and provoke violence and to kill and destroy. So, I'm going to pre- I'm gonna preface the story I'm about to tell with a statement, just to give some context, okay? I feel, I don't feel, um, God feels too, that um, abortion is a blight on our country. And not only does it victimize unfathomable numbers of unborn children, but it victimizes so many women. Uh, and I almost think in many ways women are victimized more than the unborn babies because they suffer the consequences. And um, and we live in a culture that's growing increasingly celebratory of death. And the church has always been the church of life because God is a God of life and Jesus came to give us life abundant. And so as the church, we ought to always stand for life from conception until natural death because that's God's design and he is a God of life and a creator of life. And, and we live in a culture that seems to grow increasingly celebratory of death because we live in a culture that could author a book called Shout Your Abortion, uh, which just pains me to see our culture celebrate death in this way. So all this to say that abortion is a great evil, and I would love to see it er eradicated not only from America but from our world. But I know a man who has become so militant about the eradication of abortion that he has lost all perspective for instance when the movie unplanned came out uh, we would think oh this is a wonderful opportunity to expose the death the culture of death and the manipulation and everything that happens and this man who's become so militant was on social media decrying the movie and he would write these diatribes and say protest this movie don't go see this movie and, he'd, and and i couldn't folks i couldn't even tell you why he was protesting the movie because it was almost incoherent angry rambling that didn't make any sense and i'm going You've lost all perspective because you're so militant. Furthermore he um, he has routinely called out his elders and pastor on social media, things like he'll write these diatribes, things like I, I've kind of un, you know, followed him because it's so loony. But he, he said, I remember one time he's writing about how the, the church he attends was putting in a, a play structure for the kids and his diatribe online was why is our church putting it, putting all this money into a play structure for the children? Meanwhile, unborn are being slaughtered and he's calling out the pastor and calling out the elders. And, and I'm thinking, first of all, you're, you are breaking all the rules because you're not going to the people personally. You should, this is not the forum for this kind of a discussion. You are a wolf. You are, you are not following the word of God and you're, 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 it's just so militant. You've lost all perspective. All right. And I say all this to say this man has lost all perspective because he's become so militant. And so he's not even accomplishing his objective anymore because he's gotten so lost in his militancy. And so Ishmael's response to living in exile is a militant one, and this is not the answer for us either. A militant response or any sort of calls to violence or taking up arms are not an answer for us, or, or even just di- diatribes on social media. This is not the answer. It's not the answer. And then there's also this man, Johanan. Hanan, and Johanan, again, is a residual military leader who's living in Judah. And he's the man who warned Gedaliah about Ishmael's plot to kill him. And, and Johanan, now that Ishmael has murdered Gedaliah, he is really scared. Because Ishmael, one of his comrades in the former Judah army, has just taken out the governor. And he fears that there's going to be reprisals from Babylon. He fears that Babylon's going to have an answer for this, and it's not going to look pretty. And so Johanan has all this fear about what Babylon's going to do as a result of the governor being murdered. And so he becomes the organic leader of this movement of the remnant that wants to escape to Egypt and run away from potential reprisals that Babylon was going to have. And Egypt would have been a really safe place for them to escape to because ever since Babylon rose to power, Egypt has been um, against them. They've been anti-Egypt and they were anti-Babylon. And there were even points in Judah's history where Judah was allied with Egypt against Babylon. So Egypt would have been a safe place. And so there's this plan that comes about where the remnant and led by Johanan is going to escape and run away to Egypt out of their fear. And so what they do is they submit their plans to this man, Jeremiah. And this is the fourth man we meet. So Johanan's response is fear to living in exile. And the fourth man we meet is Jeremiah. And Johanan is going to submit their plans to Jeremiah to submit them to the Lord. And so Jeremiah takes this idea of running away to Egypt to the Lord. And he goes away for 10 days to pray and seek the Lord's will. And after 10 days, he comes back with this response. So this is God's response to the plan of running away from Egypt through the prophet Jeremiah. Here's what God says through Jeremiah. Stay here in this land. If you do, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. For I am sorry about all the punishment I have to bring upon you. See the love of God in that? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Just as my anger and fury have been poured out on the people of Jerusalem, so they will be poured out on you, should you or when you enter Egypt. So God says, no, don't go to Egypt. And what's interesting is God's answer is reflective of the Sinai covenant that God made with Israel so much, right? That he loves this format of, if you obey me and if you stay here, you'll be blessed. Stay here in Judah, obey me, and you'll be blessed. But if you run away and disobey me to to Egypt, then you're going to face all sorts of curses and all sorts of trouble. And this is not the answer that people wanted. Because they wanted to run away to Egypt. And so what they do is they kidnap Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't want to go. He wanted to do the Lord's will. He wanted to stay like God told them. And so they kidnap Jeremiah and in the night they escape to Egypt and they make their escape. So they disobey God. And so Jeremiah's response is basically God's response to living in exile, which is this response of stay. God tells them, stay in the land and I'll make you flourish. Despite living in exile, stay here and be a faithful witness. But they don't listen and they flee. And why we get to this point in the story where God tells his remnant in Judah to stay and be faithful is I feel he is telling us as the American church to stay and be faithful in our land. I feel like this is a message that we can take too, that God is telling us as the American church, stay and be my faithful witnesses. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to run away or flee. You don't have to take up arms or be militant. You don't have to deny what's happening around you. Yeah, it's getting getting harder out there, but I want you to stay and be my faithful remnant. I feel like that's what God is telling the American church. And as we look around and see a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile, and we looked at some of that last week, and as we look around and see a culture that's pressuring us more and more, it can be easy to have one of these other three responses, denial, fear, but we... Don't need to worry, folks. We do not need to worry, and we can stay with confidence, because Jesus makes us this promise. Jesus says this. He says, "I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on Earth you will have many trials and sorrows.." So he promises. He promises what's happening. He says, "You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We serve the one who overcame all this folks. That's why we need not fear. You know what's really interesting is, Judah flees to Egypt. And how many hundreds of years earlier did God rescue them from slavery in Egypt? And so by fleeing, they fled back into slavery, which God liberated them from and overcame for them. This is why we need not fear, folks, because Jesus has overcome that. He's liberated us from sin. He's liberated us from death. He's liberated us from fear. He's liberated us from our our, our burning passions and our desires. He's liberated us from all that. We can be free to stay and be faithful witnesses. He set us free from all that, folks. Let me just close with um, a story of a congregation that I felt stayed and did what God commands through Jeremiah here. So most of us know about um, the church in Charleston that was shot up in 2015. But what I didn't know, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and I didn't know some of the details surrounding that story. So this this um, man uh, went into this church in 2015 in Charleston, and, and he opened fire and, and shot nine congregants. And the the church is pr- predominantly African-American, and the shooter was white. And what I didn't know is that man didn't just go in the door and just start opening fire. That man went in, and they welcomed him in to their Bible study. So he sat and prayed with them for a whole hour. Here's a, here's a man that doesn't look like this congregation, that's never seen this man before, but the congregation opened their arms wide to him. And had him in their Bible study for a whole hour and prayed with him. And it was after that hour that he took his gun out and opened fire and began shooting people. So they welcomed him in. And then on top of that, at the court hearing where he was sentenced, some of the, the relatives of the victims got a chance to speak through a video monitor to the, the shooter. And this one woman, her name is Nadine Collier. She, her mom was one shot in, by this, this killer. And this Nadine Collier gets up and she said these words to the shooter through the video monitor. She said, you took something very precious from me, meaning her mom. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again. But then she says this, but I forgive you. That is a church who serves the one who overcame the world. That is a church who does not fear. That is a church who can forgive because they know Jesus has forgiven them. That is a one who can stand up to all the hostility and all the violence, literal violence, literal murder, and say, I forgive you because they serve the one who overcame the world. That is a congregation who stayed. Amen. Let's pray.